Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Hybrid Podcast. Today, I will be sharing a recording of an interview that I did with the podcast Tell Me a Story. Tell Me a Story is a podcast that was started by young leaders and changemakers in Serbia who are on a mission to use their platform to tell stories and inspire others. They focus on topics surrounding human rights and the fight for justice. A few weeks ago, the two hosts of this fabulous podcast reached out to me to record an interview on my work and my podcast. I loved our conversation so much that I want to share it with my listeners too. This is the recording and I hope you enjoy it. Since our conversation ran a little bit long, I decided to cut this up into two episodes. The first half you can find right now after this message and the second part of this podcast you can find in the next episode of the Hybrid Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Tell Me a Story. My name is Ljubica. And I'm Sarah. And today we're going to discuss about cultural differences and how we can use them to make our community richer. Today we're going to talk to a very ambitious and successful young woman, Aisha Chebi, from the United States. Um, she's a creator and the host of the Hybrid Podcast and the winner of the Princeton Prize in Race Relations. And I think it's time to welcome her to our show. Welcome, Aisha. Would you like to kind of start off by telling us about you? Because I don't know how much you've heard, but kind of the point of our podcast of Tell Me a Story is to hear stories from inspiring people like yourself. And we want to hear from you. When did your story start? What do you think? And how has it affected you? How has it changed through time? Go ahead and tell us. I'm from Miami, and I definitely think that my story started really, really early on in my life. Um, so I am um, half Cuban. My mom is Cuban and my father is Tunisian. Um, and so Tunisia is in North Africa, completely one side of the world. And my mom is Cuban, completely other side of the world. Um, and I grew up in the United States, which is such a diverse country with so many different people and so many different cultures that I think trying to figure out my identity and learn about myself started at a really, really young age. When I was growing up and I would try to hang out with other Cuban kids because there are a lot of Hispanics in Miami. Um, I was never Cuban enough for them because I was only like half Cuban and then wasn't really super immersed in the culture. Um, and then when I was hanging out with Tunisian kids or Arab kids, I wasn't ever fully Arab either. And then to American kids, I wasn't like completely American, even though I was born here. And so there's, there's a lot of identity crises that happened early on in my life because I was always forced to think about my identity and who I was since I didn't traditionally fit in anywhere and so that's difficult to, to try to think about as a kid and so throughout that journey there have been a lot of different experiences um like bullying and different things in between because of my identity and because of my Muslim identity as well and so from a young age I really had to look into myself a lot and try to figure out who I was and how I was going to portray myself to the outside world. And so that's a lot to make a little kid think about, right? Because all they want to do is, is fit in. And then when I was little, now I'm really comfortable in my own skin and being myself and being completely unique. But when you're little, you really just want to like fit in and, and make friends with other people and be like them. And so that's really difficult to think about. And so I 
think that inspired me to take on culture just because I was surrounded by so much culture from a really young age. And then as I went into high school and the climate in our country became more political and more divided, it was it forced me to have those conversations out loud and not just with myself um, and to talk to other people about their experiences and 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 how that multicultural experience is actually really beautiful and something I'm really grateful for. Um, and so, yeah, so I would say my journey started really, really early on. Um, I wouldn't pinpoint like one experience necessarily, but there have been a lot of experiences in between, which sort of forced me into or pushed me more into um, the world of talking about culture and identity and, and things like that. Uh, you kind of mentioned that you were to some extent forced to speak out loud because of the political state of things. Was it scary at first? Were you hesitant about it? Or did you kind of feel like this is something that has to be said, has to be done? Sure. So I'm going to reference the podcast specifically because I, I always spoke out in like, actually, before I started the podcast, I'll go back a little bit. Before I started the podcast, um, I was a speaker at a March for Our Lives rally. Um, so that's March for Our Lives is the movement um, to end gun violence, especially in schools. Um, because at, in a, so I don't know if you guys heard about the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting. And so that was a shooting that happened in a school like an hour or so away from me. And that was really close to home, even though it wasn't my school. Um, and so that was really tragic. And so I spoke out at a rally in Miami two months after that, um, in protest. And when I was on stage and I was speaking, my message didn't really have anything to do with culture or identity. It was just, it was strictly about ending gun violence and especially in schools. And so, but I am a very visibly Muslim woman. I wear the hijab. I've been wearing it since I was in high school. And so I am very visibly Muslim and that even though I wasn't addressing that at all, that's something that came across when you saw me on stage. And so when I was on stage, I actually, during the middle of my speech, um, there was a group of anti-protesters, like protesters who were protesting our protest, if that makes any sense, because there are always a little few of those at every, um, every event. And so they were in the back of the crowd and they just started booing me. And I remember, um, and it was really, really tough to hear. And they said some things that um, I don't want to repeat that were like very Islamophobic and very hurtful. And so I remember that moment very vividly. And I remember, I remember like being still on stage for a second and, and, and wondering whether or not I should leave or if I should continue. And that was really hard because even though there were more supporters and people talking in favor of what I was saying and more people telling me to keep going, it was still really hard to hear that in the back. And so little by little, I, I decided I had to stand my ground and there was no other way. I wasn't going to let these group of people silence my voice that I worked so hard to fight for and to, to amplify so, so they slowly got drowned out by support and by, and so I just kept going. And so that was a really powerful moment for me about speaking up and the power of speaking up. Um, and eventually they, their voices, um, were drowned out, but that was really, and I remember that inspiring me to also start the podcast because I remember thinking like silencing myself isn't an option, right? So I have the power to use my voice and to speak up and, and to do so, then, then why wouldn't I? So yeah, starting the podcast was a little bit scary in that sense. But after having that experience, I think it was kind of more empowering to start the podcast and to talk about it since I had had those experiences before. 
And even if there were going to be negative experiences coming my way, I knew I could handle it. And so, so yeah, that's, that's what I would say about um, starting the podcast and, and whether that was scary or not. Um, in one of your podcast shows, um, you said that you would like to um, refer to the cultural differences and generally to like the United U.S. community as a salad bowl rather than a melting pot. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And would you like to like elaborate on that and um, just explain to our audience what you mean by that? Because that I think it's really important. It's like an essential part of your own like growing up and being accepted and like forming your identity, as you said. Uh, that's a great question. First of all, thank you for listening to the podcast. And so, yeah, so in one of my earliest episodes, I talked about how we should describe the multicultural like pluralism that exists in the U.S. And so typically when you look at American history and how America is talked about, like the different identities in America are referred to as a melting pot. And so for a really long time, immigrants have come to this country and have been an essential part of this country. And the idea of a melting pot, which is traditionally used, is more so an idea of assimilation where somebody if somebody immigrates to the United States from their country they will come in and adapt to the American culture and completely like leave behind their own culture and just assimilate into what other people think the American culture is and what the stereotypical American culture needs to be and so that's the way a lot of people have thought about America for a really long time um, that there is one American culture and that Everyone who comes here needs to assimilate to it and to, to be exactly like that in order to fit in, in order to succeed, et cetera. But, but yeah, I beg to differ with that. And that's when, and there's a newer model referred to as a salad, salad bowl, which I agree with much more, which is that everybody from wherever country you come from comes to the United States. Um, and instead of having to strip themselves of their old identity or their heritage, um, they're able to bring that, and it, that's what makes America more beautiful and more diverse, and America is a country of immigrants, and so everybody can keep their own culture while also contributing to American society and being American, and, and being American doesn't necessarily mean having to get rid of your old culture or your heritage. It, it just means adding more to it and, 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 yeah, and adding more to it, and it becomes even more beautiful in that way, and so I, I like that idea much more because you still have this bowl, this cohesion, but everybody doesn't need to be the same for it to, to work. Everybody can still have their own differences, their own opinions, their own beliefs, their own traditions, and still be in part of society and still and still succeed and do well. And so I like that idea much more because in my experience growing up, I've been able to see people of so many different cultures. I've been able to meet so many different people and see them not only keep their heritage, but use it um, to drive them to success and to use their backgrounds and their tradition to motivate them and, and to have them do well. And so, so yeah, so I hope, and I, I'm starting to see more young people see it that way, but I'm really hoping that the, the culture or the perceived culture of what America is in terms of immigrants is, is more like a salad bowl because I, I do like that idea much better. And, do you, and I think it's more accurate too. And do you think that, because you mentioned younger generations, do you think that the younger generations will continue moving forward as a country that is not just uniform, I guess we could say that way, but a country that celebrates different cultures? 
Or do you think that some things will still stay the same and that it will still be a struggle, let's say, 20 years from now? That's a hard question, yeah. And yeah, because I, I'm i very hopeful in our generation. Um, I think we're a generation that has seen a, like, even globally, not just in the United States, that have seen a lot of hardship and a lot of growth. And I think our generation is, is one of, if not the most outspoken generation in terms of, like, our age. Um, so, like, previous generations when they were in high school weren't organizing nationwide marches. The March for Our Lives rally was organized by a bunch of teenagers. No, really. And so with the help of adults, like we need we need adults that we need to cooperate, right? Because in the end, like they're the ones in power. We have the right to vote and I think our generation is going to use that. And I we have the power to do a lot of really impactful work. Um I've seen so many marches and movements and nonprofits started by people my age or younger. And so I think I'm lucky enough to know so many people who are making such a big impact. I know a ton of people who have started nonprofits and organizations for different causes, whether it's to teach girls coding so they have an equal access to education about technology, or if it's um, a global health organization to give supplies to countries that are underfunded. I think in a lot of ways, I've seen our generation do a lot of change and do a lot of change for the right reasons. Um, Obviously, I might be biased because I'm part of this generation. And so I want to say that we're super impactful in, in leading the way. And I think it's important because we still have our adulthood ahead of us. And if we're doing so much now, then there's no telling what can be done in the future. I'm not, I'm not naive, though. And I know that we need cooperation of adults and good leaders, which we have. Some We have adults who are willing to listen, right? And that's why our voices are able to be amplified. We have adults and mentors who believe in us and who want to see our our story be heard and who want to see us do well and make change and so both of those things are really important but yeah without it without a molding of of the general consensus of american adults and just globally yeah change won't happen but i think it's happening but i think an attitude of our generation is that we're going to change whether you like it or not and so we're we're also at the same time while we need adults to help us and mentor us and we're not obviously I'm super grateful for all the mentors and adults in my life. Like I know I would be nothing without that mentorship and guidance as well. We are kind of our generation as a whole is kind of like knocking down people's doors in, in a figurative sense and, and saying like, we're here, we're coming, we're making change. What are you going to do about it? Like it's, it, that's kind of, it's kind of cool though to be a part of and to witness. And it's, and, I, and I'm glad that it's, it's for good for the most part, right? And so I'm, I'm really glad. And I'm really glad to have this opportunity to speak to you guys and, and expand outside of the U.S. and see what type of things people are doing globally. And so that's super cool, too. And so I'm really lucky to be a part of this generation. I think I think young people are really important. Do you, do you, what do you think about that? Because that's a really hard question. Um, I think I would like to just um, build upon what you said. I think that our generation has really seen a lot of progress. Like, if you take a look at... You know, things like how things were 20, 30, 50 years ago, the situation was a lot worse. And I think that our generation has seen a lot of progress. And I think that that has come with um, speaking um, about these issues, talking about them. I mean, standing up for what we believe in. And I think it's important that more and more people are actually starting to speak out and, you know, have more voice. And I think that's really important and that that is what is going to 
bring improvement and ensure a better future. I think it's really important to also, while we are acknowledging and while we are making change and while we wake up every day consciously deciding I'm going to change something, we also should not forget the past. Even though, because we mentioned 20, 30 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, th things were very different and that was not right. And even though some of those things are right today, 20, 30 years from now, we're going to look back at this time and think, oh, wait, we could have done more. We should have done more. And I think that's really good with the new generations that we realize that we always have to strive for more, but also we have to acknowledge the mistakes in our past before we can we can actually move forward. Because if we just keep, it's it's like soccer, basically. If we just keep kicking in the same spot, the goalie will know where it's going and he's going to be able to block it. But if we if we change our game, if we realize this doesn't work, we can find something that does work and we can make it we can make it so much greater and i think that's that's the whole point of of this but like talking about like present now like because you know since media plays a huge role in shaping the public opinion do you think that media successfully portrays the cultural differences um in the us or globally or do you think that there's still more space for improvement Okay, so that's, that's an interesting question. I think media is, an, is a field that still has a lot of improvement, but also has made a lot of progress. Um, I think that's one reason why I got into the podcasting space, which because it's, it's such an underused, um, but really important media that, that people, that people should, should tune into more, especially our generation. Um, I think a, a, a podcasting still right now is there's a lot of adults listening to, to different podcasts. And so my podcast, and, and I'm sure yours as well, is trying to get more young people um, to use media for change and things like that. I've definitely seen, with regards to whether they've put, media has been able to portray different cultures well, I think the issue lies less in um, a bad portrayal of cultures, which I'm sure exists, um, and, which, and which I'm familiar with, but more of like a lack of representation, if that makes sense. Um, and so growing up, if I looked to like movies or TV shows and I tried to find a character that looked like myself or, or just was similar to me in any way, I couldn't find that. Right. I think maybe the closest I've ever gotten to finding to like looking on TV and saying, Oh, that girl looks like me or like talks like me or is probably like Jasmine from Aladdin. Have you seen Aladdin? Yeah. 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 So that's probably the closest I've ever gotten. And Agrabah isn't even a real place and that whole culture isn't even portrayed well. Um, so, so what's interesting, I'm going to go on a tangent about Aladdin really quickly. So Aladdin doesn't, so for me, I'm Arab, right? And so I wanted to see, oh, where is like an Arab woman in movies that I could like identify with. And so the closest I got to that was Jasmine. But the thing is that that the media, what they did with that movie is they smashed a bunch of different cultures together. They took Indian culture and Southeast Asian and, and Southern South Asian culture and Middle Eastern culture and North African culture. And they kind of combined it, elements of all three into one movie. Um, and so that's really hard when you generalize a group of people so much that you think you can just put all of their identities into one movie, which isn't really accurate. And so what, that's what I was saying about a lack of representation is I never really saw myself in media and I still don't think I do. I still don't think I can easily find a 
a lot of media roles um, that I feel like I'm being represented in. I think there have been some advances, definitely, in, in, in media for a lot of minority groups, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done with that. And that's just, that's not only in movies, um, that's in like TV and, and, and books. And I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in media. I think it's a, it's a very, it's an industry that develops very, very quickly. Um, and it's always changing, it's always moving. But I definitely still don't feel represented in, in media, at least the media that I'm consuming in America, right? Like I'm sure in Arab countries, there might be more Muslim female characters, but where I am right now, and I think given the fact that America is so diverse, I think our media has a lot of work to do because I think the leading roles and the characters that are represented are still the same characters time and time again. And if I if I do see a Muslim portrayed in in a movie or in tv it's usually as the bad guy which is also not helpful um and which is also something that so i think the media can do harm in that way by by pushing those stereotypes that people have that's definitely a field that i think needs a lot of work to to portray the different cultures in america more accurately Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hybrid Podcast. Before you go, this podcast would not be possible without the support of listeners like you. If you are looking to support the podcast, there are so many different ways you can do it. You can support the Hybrid Podcast by following us, leaving a review, or donating directly. Your donations and support help us to continue making content and to improve the podcast even more. Be sure to check out our other episodes as well. Till next time.